Hello, and thanks for tuning in to our Monday Night Godcast, an immersive and interactive discussion of the Bible. If you're listening to this right now, then I know for a fact that God has something for you. That's right, you. I'm glad you're here. Let's dive into God's Word and see what He has in store for us today. Even though the fig trees have no blossoms, and there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop fails and the field lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, yet I will rejoice in the Lord, I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. Does anybody know who wrote that? <laughs> Sorry. Anybody have a guess who doesn't know for sure? I'm pretty sure it's more so off the top of my head. Okay. Uh, everyone can say it on three who thinks they know it. One, two, three. Habakkuk. Yes. I heard three different pronunciations, but I'm pretty sure everyone says Habakkuk. Yes. Yeah, so here's the story to go along with that. For anyone who, who read ahead, great job. Or anyone who has, you knew that, you know, what it was. Here's, here's the story. Benjamin Franklin, who was not a Christian, though he had great respect for the Bible, used Habakkuk 3, 17 through 19 to confound a group of sophisticated, cultured despisers of the Bible. When he was in Paris, he heard this group mocking the Bible and mocking Franklin for his admiration of it. One evening, he came, to, he came among them and said that he had a manuscript containing an ancient poem, and he was quite impressed by the poem, and he wanted to read it to them. When he read Habakkuk 3, 17 through 19, that part that I just read, his listeners received it with praise and admiration. What a magnificent poem, they said, and wanted to know where they could get copies. Franklin told them to just look in Habakkuk chapter 3. Start a fun little fact about... Sounds like a Benjamin Franklin thing to do. So even, even you know, Benjamin Franklin, who wasn't Christian, you know, but he had respect for the Bible, uh, he used that very verse back in the day to just kind of shine some light on some great stuff that's in here. And how much greater for those who, who believe and what it actually means and the one who is providing. Alright, so let's start off reading Habakkuk chapter 3. 
Then we want to start reading through maybe verse 7. I got it. Go for it. This prayer was sung by the prophet Habakkuk. I have heard... Sorry, I'll pause you for a second after. Um, does anybody recall what's been happening in the first two chapters before actually we, we dive into this? Complaint, response, complaint, response. What was the complaint and the response? Uh, where are you, God? What's your deal? <laughs> in regards to what? Like, why there's Israel is suffering in particular. Um, and then God is like, well, because y'all been buffoons. And then he's like, yeah, but they've been big buffoons too, and you're letting us get take over, taken over by even bigger buffoons than we are. Took a lot of times to use the word buffoon. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's exactly that's what happened. Um Habakkuk is crying out to God on behalf of the tribe of Judah, of Israel, saying, like, God, why are all these terrible things happening to us? Where are you? And God's like, hey, don't worry, I've got a solution. I'm going to bring in Babylon, an evil nation, to, uh, to take over you guys. And he's like, wait, what? I don't like that. Actually, why are you going to do that? I don't like that idea. And God's like, trust me, because I've got a plan with all this, and Babylon will be judged. They won't, you know, get away with it. And now, essentially, that's the very brief summary of chapters 1 and 2. And now we're going into chapter 3, Habakkuk's prayer. Go for it, Jackie. This prayer was sung by the prophet Habakkuk. I have heard all about you, Lord. I am filled with awe by your amazing works. In this time of our deep need, help us again as you did in years gone by. And in your anger, remember your mercy. I see God moving across the deserts from Eden, the Holy One coming from Mount Peron. His brilliant splendor fills the heavens, and the earth is filled with his praise. His coming is as brilliant as the sunrise. Rays of light flash from his hands, where his awesome power is hidden. Pestilence marches before him. Plague follows close behind. When he stops, the earth shakes. When he looks, the nations tremble. He shatters the everlasting mountains and levels the eternal hills. He is the eternal one. I see the people of Christian in distress and the nation of Midian trembling in terror. Awesome. What do you guys see going on so far? Or what's the universe is saying? Or what's his heart? What's his heart position? Any of the above questions? Yes, Dane. <laughs> <laughs> saying like he's afraid and then he goes on to say the Lord receive thy work in the midst of the years in the midst of the years make known in the, and, and in wrath remember mercy so he's pretty much like okay I hear you God I'm, I understand your glory I understand your plan but in this wrath remember mercy he's like trying to like not plead with God but I think he's recognizing God in this moment like he's like he's heard two responses from God now and this in, the, in his prayer
it's always good to recognize who God is and to start off the prayer that way too. You know, right? We're, we're not just like, I mean, you can you can pray however you want, but the the way that Jesus modeled, you know, not that yeah, you have to say these exact words, but he showed a good demonstration of things, ways to go about praying. You know, our Lord, hallowed be thy name, right? The same like starting off by just giving him praise and admiration, like do do respect essentially. It's very it reminds me very much of Job. Yeah. Of because he's God says in his final response uh, to Job, he says, Okay, were you there? Right? But this time he's saying these things like his splendor covered the heavens and all the earth was, was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light rays flashed from his hand. So it's it's a uh, praise directed upward as opposed to coming from God saying like, were you there when these things were occurred? Um, and it's just talking about the power of God. I think verse two, like has what has been said is right. Um, recognizing the fear of the Lord in that way. I was um, combining Gary's version with NLT. I'm filled with awe by your amazing works. That reverent fear of who God is and what he what he can do. And that's that sec the second half of verse 2. In this time of our deep need, help us again as you did in years gone by. So he's calling out God's faithfulness in what they have experienced and what he know has been the experience of Israel and call it and in a way even reminding God like hey like you've been faithful to us like please be faithful to us again please show us your mercy again and turn from anger again like that's um that's what I see of like that reverent fear but then also pleading with pleading with God in a way of to remember to not forget the way that he has been faithful um and then again in you know, three through seven, like, exerting once again God's splendor and the way that it is demonstrated on earth, like, not just eternally, but the, the kingdom, in a sense, here, his brilliant splendor fills the heavens, his coming is as brilliant as the sun, um, and putting it in terms that, like, the people that are going to read this would be able to relate to and understand as well, um, which I think is, is poetic, but also very helpful for the people that he would have been speaking to but also us reading it like okay it's hard to comprehend god period but like if i'm thinking how vast is the sunrise like his coming is as brilliant as the sunrise we admire the sky all of the time for the way and the colors of everything it's like no like that's see me in that it's like uh, a invitation for us to see God in those places as well. Awesome. What do you guys think about verse 2, uh, the second part? In this time of our deep need, help us again as you did years gone by, and in your anger, remember your mercy. In, actually, who has, who has another translation besides NLT? Go for it. Read, read verse 2. O Lord, I have heard the report of you, and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. Can you read that part about revive it, that section? In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. 
So I think right here he's speaking of revival, and that it's, you know, we hear revival a lot, and I think it's kind of a, a Christian, very christian word to kind of, you know, be like, oh, revival's coming, right? Revival. Um, I think he's, he's, he's displaying here that revival is a work of God, not the achievement of man. And there's something, the only thing man can do and must do for, for revival is to simply cry out to God and plead for his reviving work. Saying in this time of deep need, help us again as you did in years gone by. so far before we move on? Well, I was thinking about, it doesn't sound too plainly. He is using very poetic words, but when back when, I think it was the second or first response, I think God told Habakkuk to come plainly so that you could be, like so the heralds can run with it. Mm -hmm. So he's very, I think in this, even in this prayer, he's talking pretty plainly about God's glory. So like, like he's pretty much given a rundown of what they know about God up until that point. Like, I think there's, I think he's not maybe not he's very talking poetically, but at that time for the people that would hear it, this is how they spoke. This is how they prayed. This is just this is to us we would like to break it down a little more. But I feel like people of that time would have de like from their language and everything would have fully understood every word that Habakkuk was saying. It's awesome. I think it's just I thought I thought about that though. Cool. Like you said, just the plain how he is able to convey just plainly to his people. That's good. Fifteen gun points for correlating it back to a previous chapter in the back book. I get fifteen gun points. Storm out there. <laughs> I'm catching them at the end of the year for a prize. <laughs> I really like, actually, I, it, it didn't really stand out to me before, Jackie, what you said about the, the sunrise. Like, his coming is as brilliant as the sunrise. And, like, that's something so plain and simple that, like, everyone can understand. Like, it doesn't matter what language you speak. It doesn't matter, you know, I guess as long as you're not blind, you, you know how brilliant the sunrise is. And his coming is as brilliant as the sunrise. Rays of light flash from his hands where his awesome power is hidden. That's just so cool. It is really weird. It says rays of light, and even with the NIV, it says rays of light come from his hands. In the King James Version, it says, and his brightness was as the light and had horns coming out of his hands. Did you say horns or horns? Horns. Oh, horns. Okay. But I just, uh, that's why like, I was, uh, I feel like, I like reading the NIV. I like to like, read the different versions. I was like, I have no idea what that means. Horns. Oh, I was like corn. No, that's no, what I thought. I thought he said it says corn. In verse four, and horns. his brightness was the was as the light, and it had horns coming out of his uh, hands, horns. and there was the hiding of his power. Mm. That's like that's when I read it from here. I was like, I don't think you're gonna be for that type of verse because I don't know. Like in that hour, what horns to them meant? Like oh, I, I don't. I visualizing horns coming out of someone's hands. I can't see it. I think it's just basically talking about the power. Yeah. That's what, okay. Because yeah. that's what, like, I don't know if the horns has other definitions other than the physical horn, like a horn. Yeah, I'm not sure. I don't know if that was, like, horn, like, maybe, like, the, you know, like, a ray of light coming out. Also, like, like the horns, horn, yeah, like, the... Like, just kind of, like, coming right out. Yeah, like, rays. I think that's another, maybe, yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> so that's what I thought it was weird. Cool. Right, that's... 
Where'd you go? Let's read verses 8 through 15. Who wants to? I got it. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea? When you rode on your horses, on your chariot of salvation, you stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their place at the light of your arrows as they sped. At the flash of your glittering spear, you marched through the earth in fury. You thrust the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. You pierced his own arrows in the heads, oh, sorry. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors, who came like a whirlwind to scatter them. Rejoicing, as if to devour the poor in secret, you trampled the sea with your horses, your, the surging of mighty waters. Cool. Oh, someone has a thought? Okay. I have. What, what's going on? What's he talking about? Because the first part sounded pretty clear and understandable. Now what's he talking about? taking out his wrath on humanity, probably a specific portion of humanity, but it doesn't really specify here. Do any anything in this part that we just read, does anything sound familiar? The arrows. Okay. He's going to talk about the arrows in a while. Or does anything sound familiar from anything else in the Old Testament? Yeah. Which part? Well, I didn't read it, but say that. Like, it's from Psalms. It's like the only place I've ever seen it. I don't know if it's any in any other book of the Bible. I didn't even realize it was here. But, uh, like, you primarily find that in Psalms. We don't really know what it means, uh, but it's used in music back then. Okay. And, uh... I mean, are you done? Yeah, I'm done. Was it in anger, Lord, that you struck the rivers and parted the sea? Were you displeased with them? No. You were sending your chariots of salvation. You brandished your bow and your quiver of arrows. You split the earth with flowing rivers. So he's, he's saying, like, God, was it in anger at the sea that you parted the sea? You know, speaking of Moses and the Israelites being freed from captivity. Like, no, you weren't mad with the sea. You weren't displeased with them. That was your salvation. You redeemed people through parting the sea. Cool. I didn't see that. Because when, when you said like the first part, I totally got like in the beginning of where you recognize God. But right when I got to 8 and then so forth until near the end I started getting it, the little middle section, I had no idea what he was talking about the entire time. I was confused. I That's why I, I, I was just I was like, I don't know what he's talking yeah. about. Let's keep looking. That, admit, that clears it up. Wait, what you said? I was like, uh, what about verse 11? The sun and moon stood still in the sky as your brilliant arrows flew and, you, and your glittering spear flashed. 
Joshua. What happened there? Joshua prayed and said, God, we're winning this battle right now, but the sun's going to go down, so please stop the sun and moon in their place. And then he did. So what he's doing right here is not in the back of my class, I don't know that. Habakkuk references past displays of God's power and wrath. Basically, God, you've done it before, please do it again. You did it with Moses, you did it with Joshua, you did it in these other situations. God, you have such amazing power and you are so good. Do it again. Yeah, verse 8 is about Moses splitting the sea, his majestic power. Um, and verse 11 about Joshua at Gibeah, asking and praying God to, hey, we need more we need more daylight. And so God kept the sun and the moon in its place until the battle was over. And then he's like, all right, God. And the sun and moon kept with their normal rotation after that. The sun and the moon stood still in God's power. Here's something I think pretty critical. In Habakkuk's prayer, remember this, this whole chapter three is Habakkuk's prayer. In this whole section, he's able to rattle off, you know, quickly just repeat uh, all these past moves of God. But he had to have it stored in his heart. Right? You know, he's not just going, God, um, I see here that, um, wait, who did what? Oh, yeah, God, remember that one time you opened up the, the seed and they walked through it? And he's, uh, let's see, what else, what else did you hear here, God? Let me look at what else you did. Um, oh, wow, you made the earth and you made the sun and moon stand still. No, he had this in his heart. He's rattling this off in prayer. I think it's important that he kept the stories in his heart. And so the question is, are stories in your heart or is God's character stored in your heart it's not just a matter of he remembered what God had done but he remembered who God is he's saying God you have salvation power in the splitting of the sea you saved the people you split the sea God I remember what you did but more importantly I remember who you are I know who you are you saved them because they're your people God, I remember that you kept the sun and the moon still in its place longer than it should have been. I remember that. But I remember who you are. I remember why you did it. I remember who you did it for. And so the question for us to ask ourselves is, are our stories kept in our heart, or is God's character stored in our heart? It's important to have both. But to just know the stories is just knowing stories. Right? You know, it's kind of like watching Veggie Tales, right? It tells a story. You can be like, oh, yeah, right? They, you know, the, you know, the little boy David, he, he shot down the giant cucumber and, you know, the guy Goliath, they killed him, knocked him over with the slingshot. Yep, that's right. That's what happened. That's, that's the story. But what's God's character? What's his character? What's going on? Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Mm -hmm. 
teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. We need to remember the things that God did, not just so that we can remember what he did, but to remember the things he did, because they tell us something about who he is. When we can remember what God did, we're reoriented to the character of who he is. And so that we can trust he is going to do it again. And Habakkuk and the people in this time are going to need this because, once again, the judgment against Babylon isn't going to come immediately. So they need to remember who God is here. I think here we can also see that joy is not contingent. Nope, hold on. Now we're not there yet. <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> Thoughts, comments, questions so far? Thank you. Because when I was reading, I was like, like, I had no idea where these questions were coming from. So I was looking at the other books, and I'm like, this is never mentioned. I was like, what is, where, where gods go? And like, I was like, the sun and moon, I was like, I've never, like, I've, like I said, I've never read the full Bible. But when you guys explain that, that this goes to other prayers in the Bible, how they recognize what God has done. And they're like, almost reminding God, like, hey, God, remember, you did this for them. So you're still your people. I know you'll do it again. I think, that's, I think it's just, because I like, like the prayers in the Bible. Because that shows us how we should also pray to God, which is like this is like an instruction, not instruction, but like a way for us to live by the Word of God. So these prayers don't just—they're not just like to the wind prayers. These are specific prayers that God has put into His book for us to read and to replicate, not word for word, but to replicate the pattern. So I think that I thank you for pointing that out because that adds a little bit more of a glimpse to how we should pray. Yeah. At first, I was like. Becca's really got me lost right now. I was like, I understand the first part, but the beginning and the last part, the middle part, I had no idea where any of this was coming from. And also, I, I would just say to Bunny, right off of that, Bunny hop off that one, um, like, even when you don't know what you can pray scripture. Like, mm -hmm. the Psalms are full of things. Like, okay, if I'm feeling discouraged, if I'm feeling like, okay, what, you know, what, what did other people say? I was like, okay, I'm, God, I don't know what to tell you right now, but I'm just going to tell you this because it's in your word and this is how I'm doing. So the Bible can even give us the words to pray when we don't know what we're praying for or how to pray for something. Mm -hmm. that, that's an encouraging thing. And then how else can our unknown words be translated? Well, we're here. How do you know that? says I mean something about interceding prayers that they don't know the time yeah. Yeah, I don't I don't have that one by heart but it's basically when we don't have the words to say the Holy Spirit can interpret even just our, our moanings and groanings when yeah just essentially I mean you can, those wordless prayers exactly I mean you can like you can just pray and be like Romans 8 Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father, who knows all hearts, knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. 
and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Yeah, awesome. So let's read 16 through the end. Who wants to take this? Last few verses of Habakkuk. Who wants it? I'll take it. Go for it. Do you have the NIV? Whatever. I'll get NIV for you then. I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come onto the nation invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The Sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of the deer, and enables me to tread on the heights, for the director of music on my stringed observations of what's going on and what's in his heart. What he's expressing now. Like what he's fearing. Or like what he's expressing how he's expressing what he felt when God responded to him. That he is still going to send the Babylonians to pretty much just walk all over Then even but then after he expresses to God his fear, almost like he's asked this is what he's asking of God. Like God, this is what I'm fearing, please help me with this. And now he's saying, even though these things are happening, I will rejoice in the Lord, for I know the Lord is the God of my salvation. After he's already told all the stories, and I distill it down, I know there's a story. Now that he's telling these stories that I know you're a God of salvation, I know you will take me to him. I still tremble, I'm still I'm I'm still fearful. But he knows at the end he will be saved. So 
So all this going on, specifically in, in verse 17 and 18, even though the fig trees have no blossoms, there are no grapes on the vines, olive crop fails, the fields lie bare and empty, the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, yet I will rejoice in the Lord, I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. That's not just a bad year. Like, that's a lot of bad stuff. No figs, no grapes, no olives. The fields are empty, the flocks are dead, the cattle are, the barns are empty. That's a lot of bad stuff. That's death, that's famine, that's not a good time. But yet he said, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. You can be joyful in the Lord. Joy is not circumstantial. Wow. Hello. <laughs> Joy is not circumstantial, but it's found in, in Christ. Joy is not contingent on circumstances, but on the unchanging character of God. Just to say it in another way. That joy is not found in your circumstance and what's going on of, dang, my car died, my job sucks, my family member did this, my friend did that. Everyone around me hates me. I've got no money in the bank. Where is my joy? I have no joy. Uh uh. Joy is not circumstantial. That's just a, your situation. Joy is only found in the Lord. And his character is unchanging. So if your joy is rooted in Christ, you have forever joy because he's unchanging. I read something like it kind of like gives a framework, but it said um, we are not controlled by the events around us, but by faith in God's ability to strengthen us. Mm. And so, like, it doesn't matter what's happening around us, as long as me and Jesus are good, that's all that matters. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> I like how um, he questions God's first, you know, he questions God, like, wait, why are you gonna do this? But then he remembers the stories and the past of all the things God has done. And looking at the past gives gives him courage to continue to have faith in the Lord for the future that's about to come. Yeah. And so Habakkuk started in chapter one by informing God how to run his own world. Right? He's like, God, why are you doing it? Why is this happening? Well, this is what's gonna happen. No, 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 no. I don't I don't like that. You shouldn't do that. I don't I don't like that. And that's how it started off in chapter 1 and kind of through chapter 2. But by chapter 3, it kind of ends with Habakkuk trusting that God knows best and will bring about justice. Habakkuk had this, you know, mountaintop experience, right? Not living on the mountaintop, but like this grand experience with asking God a big question and God answered. Asking God another question and God answered. And now he's got this kind of epiphany, right? You know, this essentially it's come to Jesus moment, like this this whole new perspective on everything. And like, okay, God, you know what? Hey, all right, you're in control, you got this. You're God, you're good. And he just radically changed after the sign of God. Going from asking God these questions of, hey, why are you going to do it this way? To now like, okay, however you do it, I'm good with it. 
Now, now is the hard part. Now is when we've got to walk the walk, right? Not just talk the talk. He's got to wait. He's got to wait for what was spoken. Because in chapter 1, God said, I'm doing something in your own day, something you won't believe. And he said, saying this is what's to come it's not going to happen yet but wait and it'll happen I think that's chapter 1 verse 5 right look among the nations and see wondering be astounded for I'm doing a work in your days is that what you're talking about when he's going to send the Chaldeans oh no it's uh, 2 verse 3 Okay. Uh, this vision is for a future time it describes the end and it will be fulfilled if it seems slow in coming Wait patiently, for it will surely take place. It will not be delayed. So that's what he's got to do. He's got to wait patiently. He's got to wait. This is the hard. This is where his faith will be put to action. He's got to wait for what was spoken. Nothing's changed yet. This is just God and Habakkuk talking with each other. Nothing has changed yet, except for what's in his heart. Now he's got to, he said, God, I trust you. God, I, you got this. I'll have joy in the God of my salvation, even when all these bad things are going on. And now he's going to live it out. What do you think, I'm sorry, I don't like, I'm interrupting a point of yours, but what do you think it means that his first, like his first two complaints were a lot more complaining, right? Um, but then he gets to the third one and he kind of starts off with um, God is really powerful, right? And I, I have a respect, a fear, and a reverence for you. Uh, and then he continues on. And then when he ends, he just kind of ends mostly with 16, is where he kind of ends it there. He's like, you trampled the sea with your, this is verse 15, you trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. And then immediately kind of just, that's the end of that thought, jumps right into 16 where he says, I fear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. And then, though the fig tree, and then he kind of just ends there. But, there's not really anything more that he says or asks of God, if that makes sense. What do you think that means? That it ends not with a question as any of the other Habakkuk complaints, but with that statement. I don't have an answer. What was your question? What, what do you think it means that he ends with a statement as opposed to a question? I guess is probably the short way to ask that. Do you usually end your prayers and questions or statements? That's a great question. <laughs> I guess it depends. I think, too, he's satisfied by the answer that he has. Mm -hmm. There's no need for further questions at this moment in time. Sure, like, we don't read it as 
future conversations that we have with God. But for the time being, for what we can see, the assertion of faith in God's character is enough for him to satisfy the complaint. Because even three, the heading on the first two chapters is Habakkuk's complaint, Habakkuk's second complaint, and third is Habakkuk's prayer. So he's done complaining. His complaint has been fulfilled, is the way that I read it. Okay. So what do we think about verse 16 and the way that he kind of ends it? That it's okay to leave it I think scared but still faithful. And it kind of seems like he has like, you know, fear of the Lord, but like the healthy fear of the Lord. The, you know, you still tremble with fear, but it's a reverent fear. And so you're doing these mighty things. And I'm going to wait for it because you said it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Even though all these things are going to happen or might happen, I'll still have joy. The only thing I would say to that is the I shook in terror mm-hmm. portion. Um, I think to a degree you are correct in saying a reverent fear, um, but I, I do think there is true fear in Habakkuk at this point um, and that he is He's, with the combination of the beginning of the prayer um, and, you know, the middle of it with his assertion of God's power and the way that he ends it, I think the way that I would interpret this to be, I can be terrified and that's not alarming to God, that doesn't make him angry, that doesn't make him sad or whatever. Um, it doesn't scare him that I'm afraid, but at the end of the day, I'm choosing joy. I'm choosing to rejoice in my knowledge of who the Lord is. I'm choosing to believe that he is my strength, even if I'm terrified and I'm going to put it out there. Like I'm going to say the Lord is my strength and I'm going to probably say it over and over to myself as I go through these things, even if I don't believe it fully right now, like I'm going to. I'm going to say it because there's power in our words and there's power in the words we speak over ourselves. So the sovereign Lord is my strength. He, but he shook in terror. Like I, I think it's very human for us to have both for us to experience and walk through the dual emotions of like, God, I have no idea what you're doing. I'm terrified to step over without knowing, but I trust in your character. I believe that you are my strength and I'm going to move forward because you know you're with me. So that's, for me, that's how I read. Yeah, I, th- I think that's spot on. And here's a note I have about that. Habakkuk showed the proper response of a man under the sovereign power of God. He recognized his own weakness and low standing before this God of all majesty and power. And I think that just kind of goes along with like reverent fear. And, and it's kind of like a, a child to their dad or, or mom, you know, you have this fear, but it's, it's a healthy fear of like, when you do something wrong, you know that you're going to have repercussions of, oh no, I did this thing I shouldn't have done. I fear what's to come. It's not like I'm scared or like I'm going to get, you know, hit, but like I know I did something wrong. I know there's justice to be served. I think it's kind of a similar thing when right out my head. 
thought, and Radza said the first sentence, and then bye bye. Here's one other thing I want to share. In general, you and I infer the goodness of God from the good things that are happening to us. Or, let's say people in general. Not, not necessarily us, but a lot of times people infer the goodness of God from the good things that are happening to us. When we say, God's been very good to me, we mean there are certain good things happening, and then we infer the goodness of God. But what about Habakkuk, or when there are no good circumstances? When everything is wrong, when the fig tree has no blossom and no grapes on the vine and there's no cattle and there's no sheep. So Habakkuk kind of did a few things here in chapter 3. He repeated. He repeated what God had done. He remembered what God had done, saying, like, hey, you've done these things before. Do them again. And he rejoiced. He rejoiced in the Lord. He praised him at the end. And in the beginning. There's this quote from Tim Keller who said, think about it, it's going to be kind of deep, I'll read it again. God gives you what you would have asked for if you knew everything he knows. So a lot of times, a lot of times we pray for things, and we're like, why didn't he answer it in this way? I prayed for this person to be healed. That's a good thing to pray for. God prayed for those things, but he didn't heal it. Didn't heal them. I prayed for this. It's a good thing, but God didn't answer it like I thought he should have. Tim Keller said, God gives you what you would have asked for if you knew everything he knows. If you knew everything that God knows, then God would give you what you would have asked for. says, hey, can I play with that knife? No, you can't play with that knife. Why not? The parent knows more than the kid. The parent knows it has dangers. They can hurt themselves. In the same way, you know, we might be like, hey, why didn't God answer this? I prayed for, I prayed for someone to be healed. I prayed for you know, this relationship, I pray for this job, I pray for X, Y, Z. God gives you what you would have asked for if you knew everything he knows. I want to share a quick little video. Very short. It also doesn't mean, though, that you won't get what you were asking for. That might be exactly what is good at that season, at that time. And if it's not, then it won't be. But mm -hmm. if it is, then it will be. This is a video of uh, Pastor Jonathan Evans, who was given a eulogy for his mother who just recently passed away. So that's the context behind this. And what? A, a eulogy. He was speaking, um, like, 
at like the essentially like the funeral service of speaking about his mother. Um, right after his mother passed away, um, this is the, the eulogy. It's uh, just under three minutes. In my thoughts over the past few days, I was wrestling with God. Because I said, well, if we have victory in your name, didn't you hear us when we were praying? I was wrestling with God the last few days. Because this was a great opportunity. That we can tangibly see your glory. Everybody was praying, not only in Dallas, but around the country and around the world. People were watching. Where are you? This was an opportunity for us to see your glory. And as I was wrestling with God, he answered. And he said, number one, you don't understand the nature of my victory. Because just because I didn't answer your prayer your way doesn't mean that I haven't already answered your prayer anyway. Because victory was already given to your mom. You don't understand. Because of the victory that I have given you, there was always only two answers to your prayers. Either she was going to be healed or she was going to be healed. Either she was going to live or she was going to live. Either she was going to be with family or she was going to be with family. Either she was going to be well taken care of or she was going to be well taken care of. Victory belongs to me. Because of what I've already done for you, the two answers to your prayer are yes and yes. Because victory belongs to Jesus. Then he said to me, you need to understand that I am God. And that I am sovereign. And my game plan is bigger than any one player on my field. So you need to trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And do not lean on you, but lean on me, because I have the ability to make this crooked situation straight. I am the sovereign God. That's why they say that I am that I am. As high as the heavens are above the earth are my ways from your ways and my thoughts from your thoughts. We don't think the same. P.S. Don't tell me how to get my glory. He's praying, and he's got a whole church, congregation, and community, and a national and global audience watching. Why isn't God answering this pastor's prayer? Why isn't God going to answer? God can reveal himself and heal this person on a public platform, and everyone will see that God brought this person back to life, that God healed this person who is dying. God, you can get glory from this. I love that last line that I said. Mm -hmm. Speak on God. Don't tell me I get my glory. Because God could have gotten a lot, Jesus could have gotten a lot of glory up there on that cross as they're saying, hey, son of God, get yourself down from there. 
You're supposed to save everyone. You can't even save yourself. He could have been like, oh yeah. But that's not how he's going to get his glory. He's not going to get his glory from saying, here I am. And come raining down from the clouds. You know, the first time. He's not going to come raining down the clouds with lightning bolts and saying, look at me, I'm God. He could have. He could have been born from, you know, a star falling from the heavens. But no, he was born from a virgin and a stable. So yeah, Habakkuk may have had a similar thought. Hey God, why are you going to let this happen? You know, he's asking, why are you going to let my mom die? I'm going to get glory from this. But God's glory isn't dependent on us. Yeah, I think that video really does shine a light on like the entire story of all three chapters of the back. That we have always, like, like throughout the day I'll be complaining and we'll complain about these certain things. And we're like, God, why, why, why is it like this? Or why did this person cut me off on the highway today? Why am I so angry about this person doing this, God? Why am I irritated right now? I thought I was supposed to be patient. I shouldn't be this angry. And then, like, or I'll do things at work. And be like, why did that just happen? Or why is this being difficult right now? It's never difficult. And I always, like, will be like, God, why are you doing this? And then, like, like a punch in the face. Be like, I'll, like, it's not like you hear a voice. But you should become, like, you have this realization of, like, and, like, you know when that moment happens. You're like, okay, I, I get it, God. Okay, I see that. Or you have that realization. I think that's where... When you don't really understand it at times, and you don't want to go home and pray, I think that's at the end where Zach was bringing up the question, where is that verse 17 to 19? Where is that? And I think piggybacking what Jackie was saying is that is the, it's the giving up your understanding to God. Like, God, I don't understand. I have this fear. I have this aching. I don't understand, but I know you, you're good. I know that you, no matter what, it's all going to be okay. I want to, um, somewhat related, but also I, I've heard this, um, uh, from, uh, Jonathan Bethke, can I say the name, from Elevation Church. Sure, why not? Sorry about making my Bethke sound like you do. Um, Bethke is right, but, yeah, but Jefferson. Maybe not Jonathan. <laughs> anyway, um. He had talked about, you know, uh, in reference to Psalm 103, 12. He has removed us sin as far as, from us, as far as the east is from the west. And he asked, why didn't God say as far as the north is from the south? Why as far as the east is from the west? Anybody have a thought? I was like, they got, they thought when we went too far, with that, it's cold. I'm not going any further. That's what I'm like, I'm like, I don't know, I don't know the size of Israel, like Egypt, or I have no idea. Yeah, like I mean, I'm only assuming, like maybe, like in their retrospective, what their world, I have no idea. Here, here was his perspective on it, and you know, it may or not be, may or may not be accurate because you know they're writing it. This is a Psalm of David who wrote it, and you know they didn't have you know world geography like we did, but at the same time. 
all scripture is God breathed. Exactly. So if we know that and believe that because that's what the Bible says, that all scripture is from God, God knows all things. God knows the earth, the ground. He created it. As far as the east is from the west, as opposed to the north is from the south, from where we're currently standing, if you go north, what happens when you get all the way to the North Pole? And you keep going in that same direction. Start going south. Start going south. And then you keep going down all the way until you get to the bottom, the South Pole. Then what happens? You start going north. You start going north. There's only so far north you can go. And then there's only so far south you can go before you keep going north or south again. You change directions. If you start here and you start walking east, when are you going to stop walking east? Never. Never. That's good. If you start here and start walking west, how far until you stop walking west? Never. As far as the east is from the west, well, that's never ending. East to the west, that's how much our sins are removed from us. It's unending. Right before that, he says, For his unfailing love towards those who fear him is as great as the height of the heaven above the earth. He has removed our sin as far from us as the east is from the west. Just something to think about, meditate on this week. Of there is nothing you can do that will make God love you any less. No sin you can do that will make God not love you because he's removed your sin as far as the east is from the west, and that's never ending. Final thoughts just to tie in with Habakkuk of what um, Pastor Jonathan Evans said in his eulogy in that video. You don't understand the nature of my victory. I feel like that's a lot of what God was saying here in Habakkuk. You don't understand the nature of my victory. Just because I didn't answer your prayer your way doesn't mean that I haven't already answered your prayer anyway. How many times do we pray for something and we're just like, God, why aren't you answering? Where are you? And that's how Habakkuk started this whole thing. Where are you? And that was his complaint the next time. Well, I actually know. I don't, I don't want it that way. Just because I didn't answer your prayer your way doesn't mean that I haven't already answered it anyway. Any final thoughts? Anything from Habakkuk 1 through 3? Anything heavy on anyone's heart or anything that you see in Habakkuk's heart? How often do you think we miss out on that understanding that Habakkuk comes around to at the end? All the time. Because we don't have the conversations in chapters one and two. Just a thought. Mostly for myself, so I figured I'd say it out loud. Which the Lord's Prayer is formulaic, 
way, but it's it's not necessarily it's like you can pray it and it's great, but you can also take the principles and pray those and in whatever order, however order, or pray it in the order, and it's great. But it's it's like you find yourself praying the same way every time you come to God, or you pray for the same things in the same way, maybe instead of just with a mask on a lot of the time of like, okay, I know that I'm not supposed to be angry, so I'm not going to be angry when I pray. I know I'm not supposed to be scared, so God, I'm going to not be scared when I pray, but you know, you know, instead of just being our raw, honest selves and being like, God, this sucks, like, or God, like, where, where are you? What are you doing? Like, I don't understand. And being very real with God the way we might be with a mentor or we might be with a friend. God is somehow, and he is, he's bigger and he's higher and he's more majestic and he's due reverence and respect, but he's also, like, I can't, I don't know the word for how, but he's, like, he's not calling us to big, pious prayers. Like, he's calling us to be honest, to be real with him, the way that we be real with each other. And I think we see that in Habakkuk, and we see it in the video, and he was like, the pastor was honest with God, like, where, where are you? This was going to be good. This is going to be for your glory. Like, these are good things. Why didn't you come through? And then you see, you know, God's response to him. And I just, that video is very powerful because it's a reminder that our victory in what we're praying for is not found in ourselves or in the answer, but in Jesus himself and in the, the way that Jesus is going to respond to us. And I love it because it was like, is she going to be taken care of or will she be taken care of? Or the answer is yes and yes, because whether or not she was alive on this earth, she's spending eternity in heaven. And that is an answer to your prayer. That is complete healing and answer to your prayer. So just because you don't like it doesn't mean I didn't answer it. And it's just very like, yeah. mm, wow. Like, yeah. It's so good. Because it's like, how many times do I pray for things? Praying for salvation for my family for years have given up on it in some instances like pick it back up again don't you know put it back down because it, I'm not seeing it or like I want you know I want to shake myself because it's like no there is victory here and it's my victory like don't look for it as your victory or even my victory the way you want it to be it is my victory give it over to me and let me do it the way I want to If I knew what would have happened, I would have changed some things that I did. What if I could tell you what the future holds? What if I said, guess what? God wins. Would that change anything? Maybe not in every situation, but 
maybe in every situation. That actually reminds me of a song. Yeah? Yeah. Like, there's a song called Dear Younger Me. Oh, yeah, yeah. said was if like because i have a past if i'm what i know now i'm like oh yeah i definitely would have done what i did then but it's kind of like being a hypocrite because i know that god is going to be the victor at the end yet i'm like you know like you know what i said it's like when you're not changing you're not doing anything different it's like a dog that comes back to his own throw up you just always well it's just all the dog throws up and it's like well, I'm just gonna eat that up again. You know what I mean? That's like what we do, and like we know the future. And then you just ask the question, "Did guy? I know where I'm at now, clearly, because I'm in the present." Yeah. What if I went back in time? Would I change? And then that question really doesn't answer. Would you really change, or you just because you still did it? Are you still gonna do the same thing again? And here's the thing. Here, here's that was a right hook. Here's a left hook. Right? Oh snap! <laughs> Alicia warned me this. Time. Right now, today. February 6, 2023, you can speak to five-year future you right now. You can give yourself advice. Hey, don't worry, because God's got this. Right now, you can speak to your future self. Isn't that cool? You know when you need a DeLorean? You just need a DeLorean. Put her on that. How do you play? I know you didn't. <laughs> Essentially, like you're speaking to your future self right now. You're speaking to your five-year future self. You're speaking to your ten-year future self. You're speaking to your ninety-year-old future self right now. <laughs> well, I enjoyed going through a back, guys. I I had read it before, and I had gone back and read it again and got more out of it. But I've never gone through it this um, this zoomed in before. I really enjoy going through it with all of you guys. Let's pray. Why? Why should we pray? God tells us to. <laughs> tells us to glorify Him. All good answers. He hears us. He hears us. Mm-hmm. Ah. I'm not just throwing out words. Speaking to the God who hears us. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for what we can see through Habakkuk's struggles. Because he's not just some super spiritual person who lived a long time ago. He was just a regular guy, just like all of us. He's just a regular person going through life, wondering why things are the way they are and what he can do about them. God, help us to be reminded that you are in control. Help us to have that same mindset, that same heart position of how Habakkuk had at the end of knowing that you are God and you are in control. That joy is not found in our circumstances, but joy is only found in you. True joy is only found in you. Thank you so much for who you are, for your goodness. Thank you for all these displays in the past of, of your glory, of your salvation, of your works. We thank you for 
the power that you showed through Moses and splitting the sea and saving your people, the power through Joshua and holding the sun and the moon still and countless other things and Jesus healing people and saving us and dying on the cross and rising again. You've done it before, God, and you know that you'll do it again. Not that you might or that you could, but you can and you will. Thank you, God. You are so good. Help us to be reminded of that every single day, every hour. Honestly, we need it every minute because we're fickle. We are fickle people and we change and our minds are all over the place. Help us to just be rooted in you. Hey, thanks for listening. It's always a good time in God's premises with us. I hope you enjoyed it and that you tune in again for the next episode of the Monday Night Godcast.